Welcome to Mindfulness in Sport by Quality Mind, where we connect you to the latest science, technology, and modern day tools so that you can dream it, live it. Whether you're an elite athlete, an aspiring athlete, a coach, a parent, or anyone who wants to get more out of your sport and life, we can help you get there. Learn more about the Quality Mind free app and proven techniques to help you harness the power of your mind. With your hosts, professional footballer Sean Higgins and a mind mentor who has worked with elite athletes around the world, Richard Maloney. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Mindfulness in Sport, a huge episode that we've got planned for you today and a really exciting guest that, Rich, welcome, but I want to jump straight back into this before I do. How are you? I'm great, mate. How are you? I'm very well, very well. But, mate, let's... Let's just quickly touch on this before we get into this interview because we've got a, a really important and knowledgeable person on the line waiting to be interviewed. But about six months ago, you headed over to the States. You based yourself mm-hmm. in California for a week and you became certified at the HeartMath Institute. Let's just touch on that quickly and then we'll jump into it. So having been in the game of high performance and elite and executive coaching and mentoring for the last 15 years, there's a growing lot of information coming out of California, which is HeartMath Institute. Yep. Uh, Joe Dispenza, Greg Braden, Dr. Bruce Lipton, all these now, you could say, on the edge modern day scientists have uh, been promoting HeartMath for many a year. And so over the course of the years, I've been studying a lot from afar and I thought it was time to jump deep in. And so I went over there to uh, Boulder in California six months ago and did a, a week or 10 day uh, training certification to become a trainer. And uh, it really is in alignment with what Collie Mind's all about. Yeah, so that's I'll, right. I'll let John talk about it. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's go. Great. Well, what a pleasure it is, John White, to be sitting here with you uh, after meeting you some months ago and uh, talk about heart math. Uh, so welcome to the call. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So before we uh, get into the bits and pieces of what we want to thrash out here is the first question is, could you just give us an overview of, uh, of what heart math is all about? Yes, we are an unusual organization. We were launched 30 years ago, so we've been in business quite some time. And we are a research, education, and training organization. We have developed a system of techniques, mental and emotional exercises that people can practice in moments throughout a day to both neutralize the stress response while at the same time enhancing overall health, emotional response, mental acuity, and so forth. Basically, our tools and techniques optimize human performance. That's really what they do, and they're about helping people learn to self-empower, to take control of their own systems, and to be able to govern their own systems. And one of the things that makes us unusual as an organization is we've done an extensive amount of research over the years documenting the effectiveness of the tools and techniques that we teach. So our research partners are organizations like Stanford University, Duke University Medical School, Mayo Clinic, Calgary Health System in Canada. We have a hypertensive study underway at a cardiovascular center in Saudi Arabia. That study's in its fifth year. So there's, there's some of the examples of the research that we do, and we've had over 400 studies published in peer-reviewed medical journals all over the world, mostly here in the States, but all over the world as well. So that's unusual for a training organization to have that amount of research documenting the effectiveness of what we teach. And finally, the third leg of the stool, if you will, is uh, our technologies. We've developed 
heart rate variability technology. I'll speak a little more about that as, as the session goes on. But basically, they're technologies where an individual can see in real time their heart rhythm on a smartphone, a tablet, a computer screen, whatever they wish. And we study heart rate variability for two reasons. It's one of the main indicators of overall health in the human system from a medical standpoint. So it's a really hot topic in medical circles. And there's a lot of heart rate variability research being done now all over the world because it's one of the best predictors of chronic disease states even before symptoms appear. So that's one reason we look at it. But the other reason is the heart rhythm or the heart rate variability pattern as you see it live real time on the screen is very sensitive to even subtle changes in emotional state. So you can use it as a biofeedback type tool to learn to self-regulate your emotions, manage your emotions, and harness the power of emotions to drive health and overall performance in the human system. So it's real-time feedback for real-time correction, and it enables people to develop skill very quickly. Thanks, John. I'm fascinated to get into some more examples of athletes that you've coached and experienced in your journey as well. But for our listeners, can we touch a little bit on the John White story in the lead up to where you find yourself right now? Yes, that would be just fine. Originally, I'm from North Carolina. That's the East Coast, what we call the South here in the United States. And that's where this accent comes from. So uh, you're stuck with it and so am I. (laughs) But I originally came from North Carolina and growing up, I was an athlete. I played every sport. I just loved competing, loved playing sports. You know, in the fall, I would play American football, not Australian rules football. You know the difference. I don't know as much about Australian rules football, but I played American football in the fall. I wrestled. I played golf in the winter, played baseball in the summer, in the springtime. I did everything I could because I just enjoyed it. But from there, we moved out from North Carolina, a group of friends and myself. We had what you might call a loosely organized study group in North Carolina. And in the 70s and 80s, we had our own careers and our own families and that sort of thing. But we managed to get together and meet. In the beginning phases, we'd meet once every couple of weeks. We started meeting once a week. And we would start to meet twice a week as we got more interested in it. But we would study anything and everything that had to do with human potential, personal growth, self-help could be anything like that from diet and exercise to various books and systems of thought, different kinds of meditative practices. We were studying anything and everything. And the HeartMath system was the creation of our founder, a man named Doc Childry. And I've known and worked with Doc very closely and personally uh, for, gosh, almost 50 years now. So a lot of us on the HeartMath staff really go back a long way. We've been working together for many years, long before HeartMath was ever founded. But in 1990, Doc had the idea of an organization like HeartMath. And he said, in order for for people to maximize their potential, to become who they really are, their best selves, they need a set of tools. It's got to be more than just a philosophy or a belief system. It has to be something that's practical that they can actually practice every day and make progress there. So in 1990, a group of us moved out. We launched HeartMath. At first, we were a 501c3. 
a nonprofit organization. In 1998, we spun off a for-profit organization. And the for-profit, that's the side of the company that I work with. We work with hospital systems. We work with corporations. We work with the public at large. We work with health professionals. And we have a coaching organization as well that works with coaches and develops coaches. And our nonprofit side specializes in the tools and techniques and products and programs we develop for children of all ages. That's always been one of our main initiatives is working with kids, especially disadvantaged kids and kids with learning disabilities and that sort of thing, but also with gifted and talented children. So we've developed a lot of tools and techniques for them. And then the nonprofit side is responsible for all the research that we do. And that's been going on now for almost 30 years. And as I say, I've mentioned some of our research partners, but that's kind of where we are now. And my job here at HeartMath is to teach, train, and educate the health professionals that we work with. Mm -hmm. But I'll get into the athletic side. This was my career here at HeartMath. I helped launch our corporate programs division. This was long about 1992 something like that. And I worked and delivered our programs in the corporations. We're fortunate. Our home office is based just outside the Silicon Valley. So we have close uh, access to Apple, Google, Hewlett-Packard, Microsoft. They have a big presence here in Silicon Valley, believe it or not, as well as the aerospace industry in Los Angeles, up in Seattle. So we had pretty close proximity to a lot of corporations and they were a lot of my clients. So I did a lot of work for about 18 years, delivering programs, doing executive training and coaching in that area. And I enjoyed it. And it was long about, I guess it was about 2012, something along in there where I wanted to start working with athletes. We had done A lot of work with athletes up until then, but it had all been ad hoc. Athletes finding us, starting to recognize that our techniques could help them. But we really had no experience, no research, no documentation of how it might be effective, how it might improve athletic performance at all. So I took that on as really it was just a personal project. I did it myself. I did it in my spare time. It was a labor of love for me. And I made contact and began to work with elite athletes. So I've worked with professional golfers, I've worked with professional football players, uh, Olympic speed skaters, Olympic kayakers of all ages, but mostly young men. And I'll, I'll share a little bit more about that, but that's just kind of my background and what so, I can bring to the table. John, what other elite teams has HeartMath been associated with in America? You know, this is really interesting. We are used now by probably... 18, 19 Major League Baseball teams. And to me, this, is, this has been just a wonderful development. We don't market to those people. We don't send out messages, and we're not trying to penetrate Major League Baseball or, or any other of the Major League sports. This is where they have found us. And I'll share a little story. Years ago, I started working with an organization here in the United States called IMG. And I don't know if you've ever heard of IMG before. At one time, it was the largest sports management firm in the world. And it may, may still be, I'm not sure, but they work with a lot of different pro teams. And what happened was I would go out to IMG. They're located in Bradenton, Florida. And I would go out there and I would do programs and I would 
trained their coaches, their trainers, athletic trainers, mental performance specialists. I would train and work with those folks, teaching them our tools and techniques. And they would then, of course, teach the students that came there. And they had students of all ages. They had little kids, middle-aged kids and adolescents, Olympic athletes came there, but a lot of professional sports teams came there as well. And what ended up happening was the professional teams would come there they would work with the IMG coaches and trainers, and they would like what they learned, and then they would hire the IMG coaches and trainers to come on board with them full time. So IMG is is kind of a, a feeding source, if you will, for professional athletics. And that's where we got introduced to a lot of pro teams. And then, of course, the word started to get around, and we're in like I say, about 18 Major League Baseball teams, including three out of the last four World Series champions. So that's that's interesting. And I know and work with some of those trainers personally, but one of the things I find comical, honestly, is they really don't want anybody to know what they're doing for obvious <laughs> reasons. They're very competitive. So they're they're pretty tight-lipped about you know their processes and practices, and they'll, they'll call me and pick my brain from time to time, and they'll say, okay, John, thank you very much. And they're gone. And if I ask them, you know, what they're doing, I don't get a whole lot back from them. They're afraid I'll share it with other people. So, you know, but it's been a great relationship. Mindfulness in Sport is proudly brought to you by Quality Mind. Download the free Quality Mind app today if you're interested in learning more about mindfulness and further creating the life you've always dreamed of. Simply download the free Quality Mind app from the App Store or Google Play today or visit qualitymindglobal.com and take our free 60-second performance scorecard questionnaire today to find out how well you're going when it comes to being mindfully balanced. Before we get into going in a little bit more detail around the benefits that not only the teams are getting as a whole but individuals that you get and that you work with, can you just touch on, for all of us, the science behind it and what these athletes and teams are actually doing and the specific technology that you guys use? Yes, very good. And that's a good question too, Sean. I appreciate that. When I was working with the athletes, and I don't work with athletes personally anymore. I tend to work more with their trainers and coaches and that sort of thing and empower them to work with the athletes. I just, I just don't have time to do it anymore. But in working with the athletes, I would insist regardless of what they wanted to do, I would insist that I share the scientific basis of heart math so that they would know when I started teaching the techniques that we teach, there was a scientific basis behind it, not just something somebody made up because it sounded good or somebody did something and they performed well that day, so they turned it into a system or whatever. There's a scientific basis behind it. And there's a couple of to me, really important aspects to that. One of the things that we do or when I would take an athlete through the science, it would be to help them understand the physiology of peak performance. And we have a phrase or term that we use called coherence. And coherence is simply the ordered functioning of the autonomic nervous system. In other words, when you're looking at the heart math technology or when you are looking at a heart monitor from your local hospital, you'll basically see the same thing. And a lot of people don't realize this, but the heart rate is constantly speeding up and slowing down. It's never static. 
regardless of your level of activity, always speeding up and slowing down. And when the heart rate is speeding up, the sympathetic nervous system is dominant. And most people kind of know just basic physiology, the sympathetic nervous system is the accelerator, if you will, of the human system. It's your fight-flight response. It's what, gears, it's what gears you up for action, gears you up to avoid danger or whatever it might be. That's the sympathetic portion. And the parasympathetic portion, the other branch of the nervous system, as you might imagine, is the brake pedal. That's what slows you down, cools you off. So if danger is passed or if the, the call to action is, is over, your system needs to slow down and recalibrate, if you will. And this interplay between sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system is what you're actually looking at when you're looking at the heart rate variability pattern. When the heart rate accelerates, you'll see the trace, the, the line, the graph, if you will, on the screen climb, and it will go up, and you can literally watch your heart rate go up. And the sympathetic nervous system is dominant. And in a healthy system at a certain point, the parasympathetic nervous system will take over and bring the heart rate back down. And it creates harmony, if you will, between sympathetic and parasympathetic function. And in medical science, they can look at that and they know that when these two branches of the nervous system are functioning in harmony, the hormonal system is also functioning in harmony. Respiration is also functioning in harmony. The uh, cardiovascular system is functioning in a healthy fashion. So it is, in medical terms, that is the state of optimal performance, medically speaking. And what we call coherence also includes the mental and emotional aspect. And one of the things I learned is respiration controls and drives heart rate variability. When you inhale, it creates a suppressor on the parasympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic nervous system becomes dominant and the heart rate accelerates. When you exhale, it releases that suppressor. Parasympathetic nervous system takes over, drives the heart rate back down, and it creates a physiological balance, if you will, in the human system. When individuals are healthy and they're in an optimal state, an optimal emotional state, which is what our research revealed as we got more into it, when people are emotionally balanced, the heart rhythm that you see on the screen is very smooth and very rhythmical. We call that a coherent rhythm, and it looks almost like a sine wave. And in younger people, it practically is a sine wave. It's very smooth and very rhythmical. But when that individual experiences an emotional disturbance, the heart rhythm responds to it almost immediately. And that rhythm becomes very chaotic, very jagged, very ragged looking almost instantly. So the heart rhythm or heart rate variability pattern provides a window into the actual emotional state of the user. You can see the emotions reflected right there on the screen. So that's some of the physiology that goes with it. And I'll touch more on that as we continue. So John, when are, your, when are your athletes seeing the best use of this? So just as an athlete here thinking, are you combining them as a person and their general well-being, and really marrying that with their optimal performance as well? So the question is, are they doing this daily for general well-being and then that's correlating to performance as well? Or is this something that they're stepping up before and during play? That's a great question and it's both. 
one of the things that I impressed on the athletes that I worked with is, and, and what I found was this, a lot of athletes, because of their past experience with what passes for sports psychology, is most of them are looking for some kind of thought process, some kind of magic tool or silver bullet that they can swallow right before a match that's going to pop them into this optimal performance state. And they're looking for ways to access the zone quickly and easily when they want to. And that's it. And my message to them was, that's a pipe dream. That's like thinking you don't have to train, you don't have to do anything. And then right before the match, you're going to go all out and do all these exercises. And suddenly you're going to be in shape for the match. Every athlete knows that's ridiculous. You can't do that. You have to train and prepare and build on an ongoing basis, your strength, your speed, your reaction times, all of that kind of thing, that has to be built through training. This is the same way. So I would always tell my athletes, I want you practicing this, and I have a daily practice routine, which I'll be glad to share, but a daily practice routine that I want you to do this every day. And I don't care if you're stressed out or not. I don't care if you are performing that day or not. This is conditioning much the same way you would condition your body through weightlifting, Pilates, running, cardiovascular exercise, whatever. It's conditioning. And you practice with these techniques and you become really familiar with how those techniques make you feel. And that feeling association that you develop through practice, you will be able to use them in the moment right in the heat of the game, right in the speed of the moment, you will be able to use them and access them within seconds. And some applications would be, especially some of the movements that you have to execute in certain games that require delicate motor skills. So a basketball player, for instance, shooting a free throw, a pitcher on the mound, and he's got a challenging hitter at the plate, and he's got to He's got to control a 98-mile-an-hour fastball, and he wants to put it over the outside corner, not the inside corner. So that requires very delicate motor skills, sharp focus, sharp control. And one of the things we discovered, back to the physiology of sports, is that when an individual experiences a lot of incoherent heart rhythms and incoherent emotional states, anger, rage, anxiety, those types of things, it floods the system with a hormone called cortisol. Cortisol is a stress-related hormone. It's not a bad thing. It's an activating hormone. It gears us up for fight and flight. However, it's well known that cortisol also blocks the electrical signals throughout the nervous system, blocks electrical signals between the synapses and compromises hand-eye coordination and reaction time speeds significantly. So people can say, well, hey, I play better when I'm mad. I play better when I'm in a rage. And that is in a certain way how Australian rules football evolved. American (laughs) football as well. You know, from the outsider's view, looking at American football, looking at Australian rules football, it's nothing but brute force and strength. And you don't have to think. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have focus. But I know that you do. There are a lot of nuances to the game that separate the great players from the pretty good players. Could you then elaborate and share on these self-regulating techniques or habits that you're talking about for the pitcher on the mound and what exactly do they need to do to get that regulation or that coherence? 
Good question. And this goes back to Sean's question immediately earlier as well. A basic technique that we teach, and we have a number of different techniques that have different variations because some people like, they're, they're attracted to certain things more than others. So there's a number of different techniques that we teach, but a basic core technique is just one I'll share called quick coherence. And it involves just becoming still, quiet, peaceful, relaxed for a moment, and then gently shifting the focus of your attention to the area around your heart and starting to breathe just a little deeper, a little slower perhaps than you're used to, but comfortably so. You want to take a nice full inhale, maybe count to four, count to five silently as you do so. Nice full exhale, count to four, five silently as you do so. And just breathe the moment or two as if you were breathing through your heart. And once your body has adapted to that for a moment or so, the next step, and to me, this is the most important step, is to continue to breathe in that fashion, but now start to remember a person, a place, something in your life that you love, something you appreciate, something you enjoy, something that we used to say warms your heart, makes your heart come alive, something of that nature that's going to activate that positive emotional state. And this is where the science becomes really important because for a lot of athletes, they'll stop right there and they'll go, oh, wait, hold it, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is now getting into this touchy-feely stuff, <laughs> this soft and fuzzy stuff. You're trying to tell me I got, wait a minute. You know, that's not, that, that doesn't make sense to me. But here's the deal. When you activate that positive emotional state, and we've done these studies three or four different times and get the same results every time. When you activate that positive emotional state, cortisol production in the human system tends to back off significantly and DHEA production is ramped up significantly. DHEA is a well-known performance enhancing substance. It's been banned by Major League Baseball and the NBA. I don't know about the NFL yet, but it was one of the things they busted Alex Rodriguez for many years ago, ingesting artificial DHEA. And the real benefit of it is generating that positive emotional state generates large amounts of DHEA. And years ago, we published a study documenting that as people practice this technique, DHEA production went way up, cortisol production went way down. And we were contacted by the head office of Unilever. This is a multi-billion fast-moving consumer goods company located in Europe, and they had already identified the DHEA cortisol ratio as a performance measure. And when they got wind of our study, they said, we want you to come over here and duplicate the study. We want you to tell us what you did. And as we communicated with them, they have plenty of scientists on their own, of their own labs, all that kind of thing. They said, we don't need your help. We just need you to teach us the techniques will conduct the study. And they did the study from soup to nuts. All we did was provide a certified trainer to go in there and just teach them the heart math techniques. And we wound up training about a hundred of their top executives. These guys that fly all over the world, various time zones, they got to be able to fly 18 hours, jump off of a jet and run into a board meeting and be effective there. They can't afford to miss or have a bad day or whatever, they've got to perform. And Unilever had already identified the DHEA cortisol ratio as a high performance measure. So 
when an athlete comes to me and says, wait a minute, John, that sounds a little touchy feely to me. I'll tell him really quickly. Here's the thing. I don't really care what it sounds like to you. I couldn't care less. This does not need your opinion. It doesn't need your permission. You don't have to believe in this. You don't have to have faith. You just do it. It's a hardwired biological function, and your body will start to produce that DHEA, minimize the cortisol, and you'll see your hand-eye coordination improve. You'll see your reaction time speeds improve, and we've done those tests as well. So if you want to improve, this is what you're going to do. I mean, as an athlete, I can relate to that feeling and those emotions when you're in that peak performance or you're in the zone or whatever you like to call it, what you describe then is exactly the place that we naturally go to or the emotions that we feel. And interesting how we can then take ourselves there prior to that feeling and not letting the environment around us dictate the way that we feel. Just a question around the daily routine for, for athletes, but also the everyday person who's dealing with stresses and challenges in their lives. What's the duration of practice that you encourage your clients to do? Well, that's a great question too, because one of the things that I would share with my clients, and these are the athletes as well as the executives that I worked with, if you think you can scream at your wife and kick your dog on the way to work, and then you're going to waltz into your office and do some kind of magic technique and poof, you're going to be in an optimal performance zone, you're not thinking straight. That's not possible because when people react when you get emotional and you lose control of your emotions and your body floods with the cortisol, the adrenaline, the norepinephrine, the stress-related hormones that compromise everything you need to perform at your optimal level. Those hormones have a half-life in the human system from anywhere from two to six hours. They don't go away just because you finish screaming at the wife and kicking the dog and you step up on the the first tee to hit your ball or you step into the executive offices to make your best decisions. It doesn't work that way. So managing your emotions 24 seven is really the goal. And then you start to build capacity and you start to build resilience. And one of the great benefits that comes from this is, and I hear this all the time from the folks that I work with and train, you know, John, I, I, I went into the office today and, that guy who always ticks me off, he always does something to push my buttons and I always get angry. And I walked into the office today and he did it and I didn't react. It just didn't seem to affect me. And I just kind of went on about my business and I don't know what to think about that, John. What do you think happened? That is the picture of resilience. That's what resilience is all about. That's how it manifests, especially in the beginning. It manifests in that way. You've built up a tolerance and you've built up an inner strength so that the environment doesn't really shake you that much. And then when it does, and there will be times when it does, you can recover really, really quickly because Mm. you've practiced it and you're familiar with it. So you could say it's in some capacity, it's impacting the amygdala or the baseline, creating a new baseline in terms of your emotional response to external stimuli. Yes. And that's a great comment too, Richard. Here's the other piece of the science that I think is really important. One of the things that's starting to emerge is it's what we call the power of the heart. And that's not just a uh, a metaphor. 
Um, one of the things that science is starting to realize is that if your educational background was like mine and like most of the athletes and executives that you, that you guys work with, we've always been taught that the brain is the master computer of the human system. It controls everything. It perceives, it processes information coming in through the five senses, analyzes it, and collates it, and then sends it through the nervous system to communicate to the rest of the body. And the body pretty much dances to the tune of the brain. That's pretty much what we've been taught, if not explicitly, then certainly implicitly. But what's starting to emerge now is that the heart, physical heart, actually produces an electrical signal that's about 50 times stronger than the electrical signal produced by the brain. It's by far the strongest bioelectrical oscillator, if you want to call it that, in the human system. Way more powerful than the brain. And the heart is constantly sending information up through the vagus nerve and the spinal column, interfacing with the higher perceptual centers of the brain, and it influences tremendously how the brain receives and processes information. Certainly the brain is sending information down to the heart that's influencing how the heart processes and perceives as well. But given the fact that the heart's power is about 50 times stronger than that of the brain, what Sean was alluding to is when an individual reacts, gets angry, gets frustrated, whatever, the heart is sending that incoherent signal up the vagus nerve, the spinal column, interfacing with the higher perceptual centers of the brain. And those perceptual centers basically shut down, just like they do in the fight-flight response. It's a self-protective mechanism that's built into the human system. So when the saber-toothed tiger jumps out from behind the rock, you, you really don't want to be thinking about the quality of your relationships or your goals in life. you got to be thinking about one of two things, fight or fly, or I'm gone. And that's all. So the parts of our brain that do our critical thinking, parts of our brain that do our goal setting, problem solving, discriminating appropriate behavior, all of those parts of the brain, they are our higher brain centers. They shut down in that fight-flight response. and You don't have access to them, which is why most people, we've all experienced this, why we do stupid things under pressure sometimes. Mm. You get really angry, you get really frustrated, you say something, and then a few hours later when you cool off, you look back on it, you say, man, I wish I could take that back. What was I thinking? Yeah. Where was my, my brain? How could how could I have done that? Now I gotta go I gotta go apologize. I gotta go clean up this mess. What would make me do something like that? And the truth is the parts of your brain that would help you discriminate that you don't have access to in those altered states, in those mm. raw emotional states. Yeah. So you lose control of that. On the other hand, when the heart is producing that coherent rhythm, the opposite effect takes place. Mm. That Coherent rhythm travels up the vagus nerve, spinal column, interfaces with the higher perceptual centers, and they animate. Mm -hmm. And you can actually see this on EEG equipment, which is why some of the professional ice hockey players in Europe that we've worked with, we have an alliance partner over there, a former pro, and he worked with one of the ice hockey teams over there. And they used to, you know, when, when a player created a foul or whatever, and he got put in the penalty box, They'd give the player our M-Wave 2. It's a little handheld device, and they'd make him sit there until he could make the light turn green. In other words, until he could become coherent again. And that was to help him maintain self-control so he could play on the ice. But what the players reported back, 
and this was unexpected, they reported back that when they did that and they got back out on the ice, they could see more of the ice. They could see the plays develop. Their field of vision was expanded and they were reacting more in concert with their teammates. And they, they had a hard time explaining it, but they, they knew what they were talking about and they knew what they were experiencing. So they started practicing with it, not just in the penalty box, but in order to prepare, you know, for the, for the game they played. What about team coherence? John, if all players or athletes in a team were in coherent state, obviously the benefits would be profound. Yeah. The energy you were saying, you're saying 50 times stronger, your heart as opposed to the brain. Now, if you've got 10 or 20 or 15 athletes all resonating on that level, what are the benefits? Yes. And, and have you experienced this with teams? That's a great question, and we are beginning to. We have, we've just developed a new training program called the Heart of Teams, and we're beta testing it right now. But one of the things we've done, we've been using this app uh, now for a number of years, and it's free. It's called the Global Coherence app. And basically what it does, we've developed the technology where a number of people can create a group on this app, and it will measure group coherence not just the coherence of the individual, but it takes the coherence levels of the individuals and feeds them into a group score and a group measure. Do they need to be together, like in the same room, no, in the same environment? They do not. Uh, we've been using the Global Coherence app with groups from all over the world. And in a lot of cases, we'll announce an international gathering, so to speak, on the app. And for those of you who own the app, open it up and go for it. And you can practice the heart math techniques. You can practice your own meditation. You can practice your own prayer. Whatever you do is all fine and well. And if you want to use the app, you can. We can see people from all over the world and their coherent scores are feeding into that app. And we can get a global score from everybody that's on it. And we've measured so far up to a thousand people mm. at one time in various locations. Mm. And after a thousand people, the app crashed. <laughs> so, <laughs> we, so, so we went back to the drawing board and we're expanding its capacity now. I've got two questions before we finish up. You're saying oh, what I've also learned is that there's a high level of access to your intuition when you do uh, focus yes. on the heart center. Could you just elaborate a little bit further on that? Yeah, very good, very good. To me, that is, first of all, that's, that's what we call heart intelligence. That's just a term that we coined, that we, we gave to that term, and it kind of speaks to when you activate the heart. As I mentioned a moment ago, it's through that positive feeling state, engaging the feelings that we normally associate with the heart, love, care appreciation, compassion, camaraderie, honor, dignity, those types of things that engage those types, those feelings that we would associate with the heart. What actually happens when that signal hits the brain and those higher brain centers animate, you start to think more clearly. You start to get insights into problems that you thought were unsolvable. There's no way out. There is no solution to this. I'm stuck. There is nowhere I can go with this. Suddenly, solutions start to appear. That is intuition for most people. You know, most people would call that an intuitive insight or an intuitive flash. They're starting to get ideas that they didn't have before. And 
this happens more and more frequently. And as the system becomes more conditioned to coherence, the system actually can build more and more of that coherent state. That's the baseline you're referring to. And the baseline can actually be increased exponentially with mm. more practice. Yeah. And as that happens, you have access to more and more intelligence, more and more clarity, more and more ideas, more and more creativity. Those, that type, yeah. those uh, types of things just yeah. start to show up. I've, I've categorically really invested heavily in that in the last six months since being at HeartMath, and I've seen a profound difference in my decision-making and my problem-solving when I go to that space, so I can, uh, I can vouch for that. Now, last question I have, John, is there seems to be a real, well, especially with the pandemic at the moment, you know, global leaders are now being called upon more so, but new leaders, you could say, in modern-day science, which I find interesting because... You know, the likes of Dr. Jay Dispenza, Dr. Bruce Lipton and, and Greg Braden, these guys seem to be really promoting heavily the heart math technology and, uh, and theology. So, I mean, they have for a while now, haven't they? Or could you give us an overview of what your thoughts are, not just on those three men, but the global movement that may be happening right now when it comes to heart-based coherence? Yes, very good. Well, first of all, Dr. Joe and Greg and Dr. Bruce are great friends of ours. They have been for many years. They've all been to our facility here in Northern California, where you came, Richard, to become certified. So we've worked with these folks for many years. And I think one of the things that they recognize, one of the scientific experiments we have going is with Dr. Joe Dispenza. And as you know, he has large gatherings all over the world now. Over a thousand people come to his seminars and programs weekend. I've been on one of his webinars. We did a six day meditation with Dr. Joe here in uh, the Sunshine Coast. And to say it was life changing is an understatement. Very good. Very good. Powerful speaker. But what those folks have recognized is when people can see the results of their efforts. And that's what our heart rate variability monitors do. People can literally see their emotional states reflected in their heart rhythms on the screen. And that's an eye-opener for people. That's a big wow for folks. And it's motivational. When people can see it, then they believe it, and it encourages them to practice. And they can refine their practice based on what they're seeing on the screen. And that's what Greg and Joe and Bruce all appreciate about what we've developed is a way for people to practice the techniques and get instant verification that I'm doing it right, or maybe I need to fine tune something, you know, they, they get guidance there. Plus the fact that we have a system of techniques that people can practice on a daily basis, five minutes here, three minutes there, two minutes here, five minutes there. They can do something tangible to ground it and create transformation in that way. It goes beyond just a philosophy. There's also what I've recognized with HeartMath is you've got portals around the world where you're measuring global coherence. Could you give us a, a quick just snapshot on what's that all about? Yes, that is a project that we have been engaged in for, gosh, the Global Coherence Initiative has probably been going on for 10 or 12 years now. Basically, what we've, we have is sensor sites. You know, we make little sensors that pick up the heartbeat and translate it into a heart rhythm that you see on your screen. But we have larger sites all around the world that are both reflecting the Earth's magnetic influence over humans in that area and humans' influence over the Earth's magnetics in that area as well. And that's a short way of putting it. 
And that's something that we've, we've deeply believed in. One of the interesting things about it is this project was born from our interaction with two aerospace scientists who decorated aerospace scientists here at the University of California, Berkeley. And they had developed an early detection system for earthquakes. You know, they wanted to develop something like that. They, they were literally rocket scientists, but they wanted to develop an early detection uh, system for obvious reasons. Give people a uh, lead time so they can protect themselves. So they were developing sensory mechanisms for being able to pick up the Earth's magnetic field and learn how to read those so they could predict when an earthquake was going to take place before it happened, giving people, of course, the time to prepare, chance to prepare. And they had some success with that. So we worked closely with them for a few years, and we kind of got to a point where we realized the limitations of their technology for what we wanted to accomplish, and we took it from there. And on the scientific advisory board that we've established, we have a number of you know, prominent scientists, but also Bruce Lipton, Joe Dispenza, and Greg Braden. So they are part of our Global Coherence Initiative, along with a number of other scientists, physicists, and so forth. John, we could chat for days on this topic. It's been a pleasure to have you, and I look forward to re-engaging you, along with Rich, on our podcast down the track at another time, if that's possible. But if we can, just before we finish up and, and leave you, if the heart rate monitors are the central piece, and I've got mine and use it daily, and I highly recommend our listeners to jump on board and, if possible, fit themselves out with a heart rate monitor, heart coherence monitor, sorry. Is there another little technique or piece that you can drop a little bit of gold onto our listeners or something that they could start right now on the back of this podcast? Yes. Uh, another technique that we teach is a technique that I found the executives that I coached and worked with liked it a lot in the athletes. I mean, the athletes that I work with really love this technique almost to the, to the person. And it's called attitude breathing. And this is something that was in the, the program that, that you took, Richard. Yeah. Uh, but attitude, attitude breathing. One thing I want to back up on here, too. We went through a moment ago the quick coherence technique. And I suggested the, as the second step, start to remember a person, a place, something in your life that you love, that you appreciate, that you enjoy. And start to remember how you feel when you're with that person in that place, engaged in that favorite activity, and it's recreating the feeling while breathing softly and slowly as if through your heart, the feeling is where the power is. But here's what happens. As you practice that, as you practice remembering a person that you're particularly fond of, it could be a coach or a family member or a friend or, or whatever, a teammate for that matter. As you do that, you start to become really familiar with what that feeling feels like and you no longer need an image. You can just start to produce that state. And that's where an athlete can start to slip into the zone and he'll start to recognize that state and literally be able to create it, not find it, create it himself. There's a big difference there. So attitude breathing would be like connecting with that warm-hearted feeling that you have in the heart. And as you breathe that and connect with that feeling, start to imagine yourself breathing in the attitude that you want to manifest for your next performance, for your next conversation with your wife, for the day you want to spend with your children, 
for the strategy session that you're going to have with your teammates. It's starting to build an attitude, an attitude of approach. And that attitude, you know, we work with a lot of first responders, uh, police and fire, uh, folks like that, uh, that need to have their wits about them in order to stay safe and be effective. So an attitude there could be an attitude of camaraderie, an attitude of team spirit, an attitude of one for all, all for one. It's a feeling that they have. And it goes beyond just the cheers and patting each other on the back and so forth. It's actually engaging that feeling and it starts to create a group coherence dynamic and that can be created in the team of police officers a team of firefighters australian rules football players mm. um even your family at home especially your family at home sure mm. how often have you seen a poor home life affect the play of an elite athlete if you've been around long enough yeah you see that well john you've sure. given us plenty to think about. They've taken me back to my training a lot, which has been refreshing. And uh, remember the moment that I met you, you you really do lead by the heart, mate. And uh, you, you sat with me for, for many hours to helping me with the latest tools and techniques for elite athletes around the world. And I want to firstly thank you for that. But most importantly, second, for what you're doing, uh, leading the charge. And uh, whilst we're in this pandemic and challenging times, I mean, this really is a, a powerful theology you could say and and, uh, and there's tools and techniques out there so i encourage everyone who's listening to get onto the heart math website and and check it out uh, and most importantly to implement the skills and tools and techniques that we do here so i've written about heart math in my recent book injury free mental training for elite athletes and soon to release the new book stress free which is how to uh, thrive under pressure in unprecedented times so you'll get a glimpse of it in there but Having said that, we Excellent. look forward to having you back on the show, Johnny White. And uh, again, on behalf of uh, <laughs> Sean and I, it's been an absolute pleasure. Is there anything you'd like to sign off on? Well, it's just a pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure to meet both of you. Thoroughly enjoyed meeting you, Sean. Haven't had as much uh, contact with you. And I do remember our connections and our conversations, Richard, and they were thoroughly enjoyable. So anytime you'd like to have me back, I'll be glad to do so. Well, thank you very much, John. We all gain valuable knowledge and a few little gold tips as well that I can put into practice myself um, going forward. So from the bottom of our heart, thank you. Very good. Thank you so much. And I'll send you guys something too. I want to send you especially, Sean, because you're still competing and performing. Also, you, Richard, this would be a good thing to do too. I'll send you a practice regimen, a daily practice regimen that I developed for PGA Tour pros that I work with. And I think it'll help you on a daily basis. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. All great, right. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, guys. Have a great rest of your week. Appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity. Bye-bye. Right. Well, that was a good chat, Rich. Thanks for the, the intro and also touching base with John. I just got the sense that he could have spoken for another couple of weeks, <laughs> but it was an insightful chat. I think we all got a lot out of it. And for you, was there are a few memories that, that popped up for your experience and week when you were at, over at the uh, Heart mm. Math in California. People behind Heart Math are really sound people, and uh, they come from the heart. Yeah, and the, you know, I'm, I'm excited now to look into it a little bit further for my own performance because these big dogs that are playing Major League Baseball and the amount of money spent over there, mm. they don't just dive into this or continue it without mm. seeing benefit. Yeah. And when there's that many elite sides and teams and individuals using it then mm. the proof's in the pudding almost outside of the science which we know works but these elite teams are getting benefit 
Well, I mean, think about it. All they're doing, quite simply, is getting you into a coherent state. And when you're in a coherent state, then bodily functions flow and you get into a rhythm which gets you into flow, which just makes absolute science. Because if you think about your performance in particular, yeah. when you've played your best football, you're actually happy. Yep. You're actually excited, which is generated from a heart feel as opposed to in your head when you're trying to control. Trying to analyze, judge. And so if we can bring a science to that, which seems logical in yeah. my eyes now that we know what we know, and uh, all you're doing is recoding now, retraining to get yourself into that space as quickly as possible. Yeah, and while we're on that, a, a key thing that jumped out for, for me and John summed it up really well was in terms of the zone, is creating the zone rather than waiting for it. Mm. And you know we, we can resonate with that as athletes and you would have been there as well that some days it just clicks, but- that's not a, a free, frequent occurrence to be able to fall into that state of zone or flow, whatever you want to call it. So to be able to create that easier for yourself by doing the work Monday to Friday, which yeah. we talk about, and mm-hmm. he's just backed it up, was, was great for me to hear that it's going to help athletes and myself fall into flow or into the zone much mm. quicker. And so flow is like living in the now. Yeah. Okay. So I love this quote from Urquhart Toll. It's, uh, in fact, uh, Benny Jacobs put this on the WhatsApp group today. Yeah. Most humans are never, I mean, is it Benny or Froggy? Anyway, most humans are never fully present in the now because unconsciously they believe that the next moment must be more important than this one. But then you miss your whole life, which is never not now. And that's a revelation for some people to realize that your life is only ever now. And so what heart math does, it brings you into the now because you're focusing in on your heart center, right? Yeah. So it's practicing you getting the now, yeah, which is possibly one of the hardest things to do when you're starting a mindfulness program. Yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a great quote. It also eliminates that sense of waiting or, or, or not being enough because if you're always waiting for something better or I'll become that or, you know, we're, we're not present and present is where the magic happens. And here's a challenge for you and our listeners. Honestly, guys, whoever's listening to this, do this throughout the day. Challenge yourself on absolutely – being laser focused on now. Just watch yourself how quickly you dive into the future, (laughs) dive into the past, but then you'll start to see that you become far more energized and you get a new feeling amongst you. I mean, this morning I got up at two o'clock because the kids were screaming, right? One of the twins. Yeah. And I listened to some nice music from the app and I just decided to do that and I just stayed really present on the music and I just found myself going to a really happy place of relaxation. Which would normally be frustration and anger at two o'clock in the morning that you're not sleeping. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And I was like, how long can I stay in the now? How long can I stay in the now? And that's why I'm bringing that up for other people to try that. And even when you're in the, under extreme circumstances, like managing a four-year-old. Yeah. How good's that? Well, let's play around with that. What about for you? What, what jumped out for you or maybe triggered a memory that you already had? Look, I think the key to this is we're going into the world of energy management now. I mean, you just look at everything. Everything's about maintaining energy in your mobile phone. It's about your bodily systems now to create high levels of energy, health in your body, and clarity of mind. It's energy. So we're teaching us quite simply how to stop depleting our energy systems and how to renew our energy systems. Yeah. And also my other, and once we know that, then you do the right habits to get yourself into high energy, yeah. which is what we do anyway with what, we, what you're doing because you get out of a game, yeah. you go into a mindfulness space by being conscious of how you're thinking and feeling, right? Yeah. And so that stands out for me, giving you tools and techniques on how to actually get there and then the science behind the technology to show you when you're in that space. Yeah. Uh, understanding the intelligent heart and, um, you know, in this new field of neurocardiology, you know, scientists have discovered that the heart possesses its own intrinsic nervous system. 
you know, is a network of nerves. So uh, functionally sophisticated as to earn the description of a heart brain containing under 40,000 neurons of these little brains that give the heart the ability to independently sense, process information, make decisions, and even to demonstrate a top of learning and memory. So now I've really opened up, that was what the key part of the training here, go, was how powerful our heart is, where we always put this focus on the brain being yeah. king, now the heart is the king. Yeah. Because it's, it's like they say it's 40 times more powerful in terms of the energy it emits. And so that's really powerful for a team. And so when you all come from a heart, and it resonates throughout the change rooms, and it resonates throughout, you know, even your family center. Then it's automatically going to flow on and create coherence in the team. Yeah, yeah, and a great lesson for me out of this this chat, and it's it's a learning tool because we we all think or hope sometimes there's a quick fix. But John said, if we think that we can do this the night before a game or the morning of the game or two minutes before I run out, we are kidding ourselves, mm. and. It's so true because we, we can't just flick the switch on this and it's an everyday practice that then we see huge benefits from. And his tip to be able to just five, 10 minutes a day to bring yourself back to the now, to concentrate on the heart space, whether you believe it or not, just try it and he guarantees that you'll see benefits. So, mm. mate, that's something that I'm going to challenge myself on to do to get a daily practice, particularly in the morning and just make it part of my 100-point plan and routine and and see where it takes me because I'm, I'm sure good things will happen on the back of it. And to give HeartMath a little plug here, they've got the app called Inner Balance. Inner Balance, I think it's called. Anyway, so you can get an earpiece yep. and you can actually measure when you're in a coherent state, which is flow for athletes out there. This is the part of the recoding which we talk about. This is one other, maybe 5%, 10% aspect to the whole bigger picture of high performance. Yep. Well, awesome. It was a, a great chat. I know it's a length, lengthy uh, podcast episode, but I think it's worthwhile. We'll get a lot of it, out of it. I look forward to having a chat with John again in the future. And Rich, thanks for the contact. I think our listeners will really enjoy it. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Mindfulness in Sport. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Download the free Quality Mind app today and visit qualitymindglobal.com to learn more. Also follow Sean and Richard via the Mindfulness in Sport Instagram page today.